This is the Boxing Betting Show with Tom Craze. Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 16 of the Boxing Betting Show. My name is Tom Craze. It's a busy show today, but I wanted to start by pointing out that last week I flagged that my winning streak, a run of good judgment uh, and or luck when betting on undisputed fights was probably due to run out sometime soon. And so it proved, uh, in addition to my confidence in Jamel Charlo winning as a prediction, uh, it did seem that a large majority were predicting the same way. I also really like the price, particularly the early price on Charlo, anything about 1.4 up. Now I still think it was a good price, but it was a galling loss for two, maybe three different reasons. The first was because, as regular listeners will know, I love a draw bet. And so when one comes in and I'm not on it, it is irritating. Uh, we've seen it happen more than a few times before, and particularly in a British ring, which obviously this was not, where you have the home fighter shipping rounds to the unfancied B-side. What often happens is that it makes the draw in running quite a useful option with the price only likely to get shorter or very frequently running very close to either a split or a majority either way or occasionally landing that big price for you. Given that I couldn't really face a 5am finish last weekend, I missed out on the in-play fun completely, which sort of doubled the irritation when I caught up on the result on Sunday morning. The second reason is one I think we can probably all relate to, and that's that losing on a firm odds-on shot always stings just a little bit more than when you back, say, uh, an 11-2 to underdog that you felt was no more than, say, a 3-1 to shot. The logic in evaluating the price in the leader is much the same, but almost invariably your staking on the odds-on shot will be bigger, and you end up questioning your methods more than you really should. Which is to say, probably not much, as long as you've kind of kept everything consistent with how you would normally, than when you lose a smaller punt on an outsider. But of course, that is the game that we uh, very much play. And thirdly, because it was a compact podcast last week, the Charlo one was the only bet that I discussed in any kind of detail, meaning that unless you listened to my waffling and then decided to back the draw as a result, there was likely very little monetary benefit for anyone involved, uh, if not a, a loss, uh, unless you jumped on the draw in running or traded it round by round, as we said. We've got the small matter of the Olympic Games to deal with this week. And though betting on such a time-honoured, noble tradition might seem at odds with some of its values, I reckon the lads back in ancient Greece would have probably quite enjoyed an each-way punt on the chariot racing. To give us the lowdown on the runners and riders for the rescheduled Tokyo 2020 boxing tournaments, very pleased to welcome to the show the online editor and the amateur boxing section editor, for Boxing News, the one and only Mr. John Denon. John, how are you, mate? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for, for having me on. I should probably start with a caveat about my prediction skills. You know, betting, uh, predicting amateur boxing is not easy, especially as, you know, the you know, you've got a tournament, a lot to bet is going to depend on the draw, and, uh, you know, a lot of these bouts are going to be close and just three rounds of the best versus the best, which is why it's going to be great to watch. But, uh, you know, don't trust me. I'll do my best for you. 
Well, you've just done my uh, my usual disclaimer for me there. So <laughs> this is very much on, on your head, but uh, let, let's see how we go. Um, what stands out to me about you, and obviously, you know, we've been I'm chatting for a few years now, but I think you're unusual in a sense that for a pro or a professional boxing journalist, you like to kind of balance your coverage and focus between the amateur ranks and the pro ranks in equal measure or even more for the amateur side, which is a bit unusual. Why is that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, at boxing, we do a lot of coverage of professional boxing, and that is where the big audience is. And most people, most boxing fans will be fans of the professional sport. But my heart is kind of in amateur boxing, just because all the things we all know that we don't like about pro boxing, like people not box fighting each other, like the best not fighting the best. In amateur boxing, there's none of that. Mm. You don't have all the sort of political and business complications that you get in the pros. It's just pure sport. It's all about speed and skill, occasionally a bit of power. It's all about the best in the world boxing each other at tournament after tournament. And it's, you know, so it is exciting as a sport. And it's where the kind of, it's proper make or break stuff. You know, if you... In, if you're in the quarterfinal of the Olympic Games and you win those three rounds and get yourself into the semifinals, maybe even the finals later and get a medal, suddenly you can become a star. If you lose in that quarterfinal, you know, are we going to be talking about you in, in years to come? Yeah. It can really be, it can really be make or break. And that's what's the sort of, you know, that's what's terrible about amateur boxing sometimes because it's heartbreaking to see young boxers having their dreams destroyed but it is brilliant if you see, when you see people make it and make it to the big time so that's what that's what I'm kind of looking forward to seeing at these at these Tokyo Olympics seeing some of the new stars of the professional sport being made it's a strong squad that um, GB are taking this time around isn't it it's a really strong squad you know the best best GB has had in in a long time you know and that's yeah, and that is saying something because GB has had some good teams, especially, you know, if you think of Beijing, Beijing 2018, a lot of good boxers in there and, you know, ch- champions coming out of it like James Gale and Billy Joe Saunders. The London 2012 team, you know, Anthony Joshua and, uh, and Josh Taylor coming out of that, not to mention, you know, Nicola Adams and people like that. But I think the difference with this GB team that's going to Tokyo is... It's not just, you know, a couple of a couple of people. It's not just a few people you're banking on to get medals. They're all potential medalists. They're all very experienced over the last four or five years in international mm. boxing. Um, and yeah, the, the 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 team. Not all of them are going to win medals, but the team is just full of medal contenders and some very special talents in amongst that as well. Well, hopefully they're going to have a bit more luck than you did um, when you started your own Olympics podcast last year. Because um, for those who don't know, I think um, it was called the Olympod and it was really it was a really good listen. But I think if I'm right, it's going back a year or so now, there was what, one or two episodes and then COVID came along, ruined everything. And this great kind of emerging series in the build-ups just, you know, died a death was... Presumably that was quite frustrating. Were you ever planning to be out there in, in Tokyo for this? Yeah, so I was planning to be in Tokyo. Yeah, with that podcast, we because um, the, the idea was we were both going to be at the qualification events 
and the Olympics themselves. And we'd be able to do that podcast, you know, from the event as it happened, you know, which was great for the first few days in, uh, in London where the, the European qualifier started. Then COVID came along. Obviously, everything got cancelled. Then when the European qualifier got restarted in Paris, international journalists weren't allowed in. Um, and I was hoping to be in Tokyo and I've, I'd worked. Uh, it was just that sort of the, the admin and paperwork to get out there was endless. Um, but anyway, long story short, right. that trip fell apart at the last possible moment. So, yeah, a few weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, I was on course to be going. But uh, disaster struck. What a nightmare. What a nightmare. Okay. But to be fair, with all the COVID testing, you could you could fail the COVID test on your way out there and spend two weeks in a hotel room in Tokyo. So right. as, you know, as, my as Olympic saying, watching yeah. experience might just be the same, might yeah. be exactly the same as what it what it could have been. Well, if it's any consolation, John, you're here with me uh, today. So things could exactly. be worse, right? Um, I think we'll get started then on and we're gonna run through the the, uh, the the visions of weight classes we won't spend an equal time on every every single one but i just wanted to flag before we do it i think it's always fun to look back every time the the new games comes around to kind of refresh your memory on the names that have emerged from the last one and i think some people forget particularly maybe you know the those who watch with kind of half an eye how many names emerge from each olympics that go on to dominate the, the kind of pro pro ranks but the conversation in the pro ranks i'll read out some names here so medalists from rio 2016 alone tony yoko joe joyce hogovich uh buatsi yalusinov giasov suzoko konsekau who's fighting um oscar valdez next shaka stevenson akdaliev nicola adams sl mosley clarissa shields and then that's that's just a medalist outside the medalist tiafimo lopez akoli ajagba jalavov Stanley Onus, Josh Kelly, Savannah Marshall, Anthony Fowler, Janabek, Melikuziev, Katie Taylor, um, obviously better known for 2012, Michaela Meyer, Gary Antoine Russell, Joe Cordina, Michael Conlon, plenty more besides. It's it's amazing how much of a a kind of a breeding ground for the, the pro ranks it is, isn't it? It's without it, it's you know, where would we be? Yeah. Yeah, it's great. And you get you get such good boxers in there and you get such good boxing because they all they all fight each other, you know, and, you know, Yelusinov, he probably hasn't set the world on fire as a pro, but mm. he was he was so good in that uh, in that Rio Olympics. You know, you saw Josh Kelly versus Yelusinov. It was just brilliant three rounds. You know, that kind of fight, you're waiting four or five years for it to, you know, probably never happened in the pros that kind of, and yeah that's the sort of the thrill of the box of olympic boxing because you get these people you might you know you haven't heard of before um who are brilliant and we're going to get that at tokyo as well there's some real sort of fearsome operators from like uzbekistan and ukraine who are all going to be uh who are all going to be a sight to see there aren't look there aren't a ton of um bookmakers who've priced up the Olympics full stop but for the purposes of this I'm going to use the prices from um, Star Sports who maybe not everyone's as, as kind of heard of but they are an independent bookmaker and they went up with their odds about this time last week I believe and I believe they were the first firm to go up so they deserve a lot of credit for that because they're you know they're not one of the the big boys as it were 
Um, a few others have gone up since Skybet, Paddy Power, but for ease and just, just to kind of give um, Star a bit of credit, we're going to use their prices. So do go and check out their, um, their markets on this as well. Um, and note that all of the prices that you're going to hear are for the guys to win, guys and girls, to win a gold medal. These are not prices to medal. You know, you're not going to win anything if the person you've backed here wins a silver or bronze. It's all about winning the gold. <laughs> Why not? Let's start with the with the women's boxing. Um, and Charlie Davison, Team GB, women's flyweight, 51 kilograms. 25 to 1 um, is a bit of a rank outsider. And at 32 years old, it's kind of old for the amateur game in a sense. She's quite an extraordinary story because you mentioned her age. She actually had uh, seven years out of boxing, uh, mother of three kids. She's been bringing up her kids, got back into it, got back into boxing, I think in 2019, won the ADAs, sort of, she was completely outsider when she got selected by GB and then got put into the, the European qualifying event and boxed brilliant. You know, she boxes really well. She doesn't look like someone who is um who's been been sort of out the sport for so long and in fact she like she she can box with the best of them you know i think she i think she boxed the turk who is who is the favorite in the final of the european qualification event and lost but was by no means out of her depth um so she's actually <sighs> She's got the ability to get in the medals. I think she's got a tougher draw because she's got the, the second seed early on, right. uh, the Chinese flyweight. So I think it's the draw that could count against her. Women's featherweight, 57 kilograms. And it should be um, pointed out that amateur weight classes don't necessarily correspond in weight to the pro equivalent, similar to boxing and, and UFC, that you know the actual weights differ slightly. Two main names I want to focus on here, um, and I've had a couple of questions about a name way back in the field. Fans of the uh, kind of pro ranks will recognise this: Ramla Ali, who is a matchroom fighter, already a pro, already kind of winning well. Way back in the field, representing Somalia at hundred to one, two hundred to one. And I've had a couple of tweets and, and DMs saying. Hang on, why, why is she so big? What, how does that make sense? And I said, well, look, I'm no women's featherweight amateur boxing expert, but it, it's a tough field in that there are a few kind of clear front runners. But what's the reason that she's so far back, John? Well, we had these, we, for, from Rio 2016, we had these new rules come in that you were allowed, that pro boxers, if they were selected by their nation, were allowed to enter and qualify. Um, so Ramla's been, well, has basically created Somalian boxing. She's kind of lead it, leading it all. Um, right. But when, when qualifying got suspended, she had lost in the African qualification event back in 2020. Uh, and then the world qualifier, which would have been her second chance at getting to the Olympics, that basically got postponed a year and then cancelled. So in all that time, she, 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 she had none of these events to qualify in, turned pro and has, and has had a couple of pro bouts. So didn't qualify for the Olympics through a qualification event. There's a tripartite commission that uh, gives, gives, gives quota places to small developing boxing nations, yeah. which obviously Somalia is, you know, Ramla will be 
the first Somali to uh, to box at an Olympics, which is a great achievement, but or a great and a great thing. However, it means her preparation is not going to be as good as say, you know, um, to Karen's Arting Stall GB's featherweight, who obviously has been training at the English Institute of Sport and also has been going to warm-up tournaments, the small uh, international tournaments in Europe. Mm-hmm. She's got one or two, maybe, maybe only got one of those in, but then got the European qualification event in, in June and had three or four bouts there, you know, fast three-round bouts against top top draw opposition, whereas Ramler's had, you know, a couple of professional bouts against opposition that is not in of that same calibre. So she's basically coming in cold to these Olympics. Uh, so it's going to be it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for her to uh, to progress. Even though she's, you know, she is a good boxer. She's got the she's got skill. She's boxed a lot on the UK amateur scene as well. So she has boxed oh. good people, but she's going to be up against it in terms of how well prepared the other featherweights going to be and their physicality as well. Like someone like Arting Stall, the GB featherweight, you know, she's 57 kilos, but she she punches hard. Right, and if right. you watch her, it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah, when she lands her shots, you see them connect. So Ram is up against it. There's a clear favourite at featherweight, which is uh, Lynn, um, seven to four, followed by uh, Irma Testa, seven to two. Arting still is four favourite at the moment, um, eight to one. So about an 11% chance, the bookies reckon. Is she a bit of a dark horse to to kind of push away into you know silver bronze? She is, and the her draw is not bad. Her draw is not bad. So um I'm a test of the Italian Michaela Walsh, she's a very good Irish boxer. They're actually near each other on the other kind of the other side of the bracket, so they're going to box each other before they get in the medals. So that is good. So Arting still on form can get can get in the medals um you know getting gold in that division is very tricky another gb hope then we'll move up to lightweight women 60 kilograms where team gb hopes are a little bit higher caroline dubois obviously the sister of daniel second favorite five to one is behind only um, beatrice ferreira seven to four favorite and slight oh, well actually five to one is joint with kelly harrington and the Irish uh, boxer is Ferreira the kind of a worthy favorite at that that short price or do you think the likes of Dubois or Ellis could could kind of spring a bit of a shock yeah I I am with Caroline Dubois I am believing the hype I'm willing to start stoking the hype so uh the the Brazilian lightweight Ferreira she's I think she's a favorite for good reason because she's done a lot and been very successful in uh in international boxing generally and been on good form earlier this year, like got over to Europe, got those into those sort of smaller tournaments to, you know, perform well to warm up. But Caroline Dubois, you know, she is very young. She was an amazing youth and junior, never lost. Uh, She has lost as a senior. She has lost twice this year. Um, and once to Kelly Harrington in the final of the European qualification event. But that European qualifier was Caroline's like first major senior international tournament. 
and she looked very, very good in it. And Harrington's a great boxer and wasn't a million miles ahead of her. And I think at her age and getting that kind of experience, Caroline mm. is going to keep on getting better and better. I think her toughest bout is going to be Kelly Harrington, who, according to the draw, she would meet in the semi-final. So if she wins that, I, I fancy Dubois to beat uh, to beat Ferreira, the, the Brazilian. Really? I think um, okay. I think she's got the right style for it. The Brazilian is, um, you know, she's strong, heavy-handed, throws good combinations, but Dubois is fast and skillful, and I think can outbox her, and I think is also kind of gritty and resilient enough to to cope with the pressure that the Brazilian is going to win. So Caroline's got to beat the American you mentioned uh, to get in the medals, but I think she's going to. I believe. I saw a quote. Who was it? You might have seen the same. Someone called Caroline Dubois either the best female fighter they've ever seen or that, that she would turn out to be the best female boxer there's ever been. Can you remember who said that? You know, I think I think it might have been Mike Costello at the BBC. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And if it is, you know, that is amazingly high, high praise. Because mm. Mike, you know, Mike, when he says something, he means it, and it's worth listening to. Uh, but yeah, she's look. It's it's um, it is early in her career. She's only only twenty, only just turned twenty. But you know, she has the potential to be the best women's boxer that, that Brit- I dare I say it that Britain has ever produced. You know, we could be looking at the beginning of of, of a star. You know, she could be the person that we're seeing. Boxing, I don't know, Katie Taylor in a, in a couple of years' time or something okay. like that. She's really, um, she, yeah, she, she's she, she's really got that potential because you know what she was doing as a youth and a junior, uh, yeah, as a as a youth and a junior, no one from Britain has done before. You know, she was unbeaten in those age categories. Yeah. She's won the World Youth Championships. She won the Youth Olympic Games. Um, so yeah. So, yeah, like I say, I'm willing to believe and stoke the hype as well. Well, five to one, the bookies reckon she's got just less than 20% chance of winning. And based on your assessment there, um, it sounds like you might think she's got a little bit more than that. But we'll we'll move on. We're going to skip women's welterweight because primarily because there is no Team GB interest. You've got O'Shea Jones for Team USA out at eight to one um, and... A kind of a, a two-way tussle at the at the top. Um, Ceremony, uh, five to four, and um, and Goo seven to two. But we'll move on to women's uh, welterweight, where there's a Brit at the very top of the uh, the betting queue. Uh, Lauren Price is just six to four, so that's a forty percent implied chance that she will get the gold. Price is a world champion, um, won gold in twenty nineteen. Gold at the European Games in the same year, reigning Commonwealth champion, world number one. She's a worthy favourite here, isn't she, John? Definitely, definitely. Like, look at that track record. She, yeah, she's won everything other than the Olympic Games so far, and she's in good form. Like, look, really good when she was um, boxing to qualify in June, won that as well. So that's another European gold. She does have a big rival in uh, Nuchka Fontagin from the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, Nuchka has beaten her a couple of times at those smaller tournaments on the European circuit. 
So Nuchka is a real threat uh, and they are due to box if they keep both win their way through to it. They would box in the semi-finals. So I'm I'm worried about Fontagen for Lauren Price, but so far, so so far, Lauren, you know, she's kind of like a big game player. She wins the ones that really matter. Right. That's that is probably going to continue at these Olympics, but but uh, but I'm a little bit I'm a little bit afraid of Fontagen. So Fontagen is the third favourite in the, in the uh, list, seven to two. Um, so plus three fifty in US odds, uh, and second favorite uh, is Lee. Uh, Interesting. Chinese. Funnily enough, there's a really big Russian who's come down from light heavyweight, the division above, and Lauren beat her really well uh, when they boxed recently. But she's big and physical, and Lauren just sort of picked out her shots, outboxed her. I feel that she's a better style for. For Lauren Price, I kind of would have been happier if Fontagen had been on the other side of the draw, and that Lauren had to box probably a Russian to get to get to the final. So, you know, whereas I think the because of the Russian's physicality, she's uh, sort of Fontagen suits her better. We'll move on to the the men's ranks, um, John, and we'll start from the bottom up again. We'll go uh, men's flyweight, uh, fifty two uh, kilos. Galau Yafai, um, second Olympic Games for him. He is. Uh, fifth in the in the list, um, eight to one, heading the queue. Uh, some familiar fame, uh, familiar names actually. Um, Avetia, I think the pronunciation is nine to two, uh, and the favourite actually uh, is Zorov. Yafai's got that experience. Um, obviously, he's done well at you know um, Commonwealth Games before as well. Can he kind of break that duck and and, and kind of get over that hump here? Yeah, you can. And I think it actually it's been shown that um being a two being on your second Olympic Games really helps you medal. As in if you've got if you've got one under your belt and you've got that experience, it really helps you second time around. A lot of medalists have been people who've done two Olympics. Especially when it's at the same weight as well. It's not like this is he's not moving up, it's you know, he's he's going for the same again. Yeah, but um but I think Zoyrov, he won gold at Rio 2016. So I think he's got to be, I think he's got to be the favourite. Um, but I can I can see Galau getting in the medals and be, being some tough some tough opposition. There's uh but with his draw, he's got to beat an Armenian who is good, who might be rated number one in Europe at the moment, but Galau's beaten that Armenian before, and I think he's got the Cuban, Vatia. Mm-hmm. who is very good between him and a medal, but Galal has beaten him before, beat him at the World Championship in 2019. And I think, I think even though those opponents are very good, you kind of want to be boxing people that you know you, you, beat, you, you, know you can beat because you already have. So I can, see him, I can see him getting in the medals, but I think you've probably got to have that Uzbek as, uh, as the favourite. Uh, featherweight. 57 kilos and um, the name at the, the top of the list is a familiar one it's the cuban um alvarez nine to four uh favorite there but the team gb interest is again uh fifth back um peter mcgrail very very talented um probably one of the most naturally gifted um guys on the certainly on the squad um i would say but it's a big price 10 to 1 uh, mcgrail to uh, to win the gold and just behind him duke reagan 
um, the team here at Soho put 12 to 1. That gives McGraw about a 9% chance of um, coming out on top. A lot of people will have high hopes for McGraw, and, and certainly when he turns pro as well, a lot of people are very excited about, you know, he's got the style to do very well as, as a pro. How's he going to do here? Yeah, I think I think I think he's probably got a better chance than those odds might suggest because he is, you know, he is a tremendous talent. Even though he unexpectedly lost to a Hungarian recently, he's just mm. he's very very good, really quality boxer and a sort of proven medal winner. Because yeah, he just he did he did just enough to qualify, but before the qualification. You know, he had won medals at two Europeans, two world championships. Yeah. Um, and I think standing between him and the medal stages is that Cuban, uh, Zara Alvarez, who has beaten Peter before. But if, if McGrail gets it right on the day, you know, I think he's got a better style for, for beating that Cuban. I think he should be happier with his draw than if he, you know, he, the Uzbek is on the other side to him, I think. So the Uzbek is very, very good. Um, but again, you just have to worry about him till the final. The Uzbek and the American have to box each other. So again, one of them is going to be out of the equation. I think he's got, you know, and even P- Peter's first bout is against a tie, who Chachai but D, who eliminated Kez Ashvak from the, uh, the, the Britain yeah. at the... Uh, at at the Rio, uh, at the Rio Olympics. So yeah, look, these are tough people he's got to beat, but um, but he can get far. You know, obviously hard to win the whole thing, but I can see him getting the medals. You're listening to the Boxing Betting Show. Men's lightweight is quite a an eye catching division. I'd say sixty three kilograms. Um, Andy Cruz, the Cuban, is the very short price favourite, 11 to 10, so just over even money, you know, pretty standout favourite. But second in the list, uh, Keyshawn Davis, another um, matchroom prospect who's gone back to the pro ranks um, after after switching over. Only 22, um, 3-0 as a pro. He's 6-1, to one, so 14% chance for Keyshawn Davis. And further back, Team GB, Luke McCormack, 16-1. to one. The bookies say he's just got a 6% chance of, of kind of coming out on top here. Looks like a tough draw to me with, um, with Cruz, Davis, and um, you've got Batchov as well. As well. Is, it, is it too big an ask for, for Luke here? Well, Luke, Luke is very, very good. So, like, there's, there's a French guy called Sofiane Umar. Who, is probably, who I think is, is the top seed, maybe not the favourite, but he's... he's uh, you know, yeah, he's fourth favourite, uh, Umaya. Yeah, so he and he's classed. He was a sort of a silver medalist at Rio, uh, and Luke's like lost to him a couple of times. But you know, last time they boxed, that was neck and neck. So that shows that Luke, on his day, you know, is up there with the very best. The problem for him is Andy Cruz. The reason Andy Cruz is such a huge favourite is yeah. he's he's so good. He really, you know, in my opinion, he's probably the best pound for pound out of the men at this Olympics uh, so that is he's a tough man to beat and it's real rotten luck for Luke McCormack that he has him so early in the tournament but you know Luke you know he's he's a warrior he likes to get stuck in and let his hand go 
and he does hit hard. So this might be a case of not trying to box with the Cuban, but just getting stuck in and going to war. And, you know, we're talking, we, you know, these are three, three minute rounds. Nothing, right. nothing is a, is, a, is a dead set, especially if you get off to a good start and get the first round under your belt. But it's hard, hard against Cruz. Keyshawn Davis, he is except, exceptional. And a couple of years ago, he had a you know very good World Championships final with Cruz. Cruz obviously won, but you know Keyshawn Davis was mm-hmm. in touch with him in that bout, and you know he's a, he was a young man. He is he still is, and he was even younger uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, but he's got a similar problem to kind of what what we were talking about with Ramla Ali in that. So he basically left USA boxing, the USA boxing team to turn pro. USA is against their selection policy to bring pros back. But because the America's qualification event was cancelled and the world qualification event was cancelled, he had enough ranking points from how successful he'd been as an amateur boxer that he had a place allocated to him. So that's why he's been brought back. You know, the downside is he hasn't had those qualification tournaments to get used to tournament boxing again he hasn't been on you know the the, the international circuit sure. of smaller warm-up tournaments and i just think it's very different boxing a very quick fast three three minute rounds against the best of the best to when you're transitioning to the pros you're looking at going at longer rounds you're sparring different people you're adapting your style so it's it's hard to come back however you know, Keyshawn Davis is so talented, he might be he might he might be good enough to to do it. So he probably puts him at, at a little bit of a disadvantage to what he would have been. Um so if he'd been sort of if he'd had the if he had the kind of expected preparation for this, like a you know, like a sort of full-time Olympic athlete would have had, you'd be you'd be really confident about his chances of 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 getting gold or being the star of the American team still should be should be pretty optimistic because he is that good but uh he's just at a, a slight disadvantage to uh to, to Andy Cruz who will have been focusing and training specifically for this tournament and these Olympics we'll move on to the um the other McCormack brother and a guy who's got a lot of people very excited um Pat McCormack is the favourite for the men's welterweight, 69 kilograms, um, six to four. So like Lauren Price, a 40% chance the bookies say. Is McCormack a worthy favourite here, John? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. He's favourite for very good reason. You know, he has been superb in recent years and he's also in form at the right time. So like the Russian, Zamkovoy, who was a very good Olympian back at London 2012, very good Zam Kavoy, but Pat beat him recently, avenged a loss to uh, avenging a loss that he had to him in the final of the world championships in 2019. Uh you know, and so beat beating your chief rival in your last bout before going into the Olympics. That's the kind of form you want to be going in in. And he's the top seed, he's got a pretty good draw as well. I would expect him to meet that Russian again in the final of these Olympics. And again, they're sort of, you know, they're kind of, they're one, one in their series. They're going to have a third, uh, they'll, you know, maybe they'll be having this third and final decider in the final. 
And, you know, Pat is younger as well. Time is on his side. Sam Cavoy's in his early 30s. So it's just edging away from him a little bit. You know, so, yeah, I think this is... Pat was saying before this tournament that he felt like he was taking the throne when he beat Sam Cavoy last time. So I think I, I, I think that's the case. You know, nothing is a... You know, Nothing is a certainty, and that you know that that if it is the Russian in the final, that is you know top level, and it's going to be a close bout. Mm. But but Pat is favourite for good reason. Into light heavyweight, where Benjamin Whitaker, uh, fifteen to two, the fourth favourite, and the bookies reckon Arlen Lopez, the Cuban, two to one. Um, it's got a couple of a uh, couple of guys between them there as well. Whitaker. I mean, the odds the odd say as much, but Whitaker's got a really good chance of kind of getting onto the podium here, hasn't he, John? He does. He does. And and like the, we had the draw earlier on today, uh, or earlier on today we're speaking now, and the draw for Ben, ben is good. You know, you can't complain with that. He can uh, he can get himself in the medals here. He's, he's a very slick, skillful boxer, Ben Whitaker. In uh, a recent, his last... At his last tournament, he was getting sort of dragged into brawls a bit that he didn't need to. And I think with boxers who are worried about just being out box, they're just going to try and rough him up and get stuck in. But he was still winning, so um, he probably wasn't in the his he wasn't in his best form pre these Olympics. But in form, he's very very capable of meddling. I think, however, the Cuban. You know, the Cuban is good. He was uh, a very good middleweight. And 75 to 81 kilos is not such a big leap. So I expect him to be a very good light heavyweight as well. So that, that Cuban is a man to watch. But Ben Whitaker has a great chance to get himself in the medals and become a bit of a star as well. Heavyweight now, 91 kilograms, um, the second top division. Chavon Clark, 20 to 1 for Team GB is way back actually. Um, um, so seventh in the in the list, but there's some big names ahead of him. You've got Julio Cesar La Cruz, the Cuban, who's moved up a division this time um, from light heavyweight, nine to two, second favorite. You've got Vasily Levit, 12 to 1. Uh, and you've got the Russian. Um, I'm not going to pronounce this right. Uh, Muslim Gadzimov. I want to say Muslim Gadzi Magomedov. There we go. Four to seven, odds on favourite. I'm just going to say Muslim. Big ask for um, Chavon Clark here. But how is, well, how is he going to do? But also, how is um, the Cuban going to do stepping up here? Yes, I mean, the Cuban, you know, the Cuban was a brilliant light heavyweight. Yeah. Like, you know, he, you know, in, in Rio 2016 and in that cycle, he was the outstanding, you know, one of the outstanding boxers. Yeah. You know, I feel like, 81 to 91 kilos is quite a big jump. And Julio La Cruz was so good at light heavyweight because no one could hit him. His defense, he could drop his hands, move his head. His defense was brilliant. But, you know, I'm not sure about his resilience. I and mean, these are big men at 91 kilos who hit hard. You know, that Kazakh is a tough cookie. He gets stuck in. You know, he's rugged and hits hard. The Russian, you know, he's a big man and it's just hard to beat. Um, what Chavon Clark's got, you know, Chavon Clark is 
is a good boxer. He's got got punch power and throws in exciting com- uh, combinations. He's good to watch, and he can mix it with the best. But uh, this is a tough division. These, you know, the Russian, Kazakh. There's a New Zealand guy called David Naika. Uh, you know, he's big and and very skillful as well. I like, you know, I like the looks of him too. There's been a bit of buzz um, about Naika as well, hasn't there? He's um, just checking his. He's twelve to one um, in the list, but I've seen a few few reports in recent days, and people have kind of got quite quite high hopes for him as a yeah, potential, you know, kind of breakout star here. Yeah, he is. He is. He's got, you know, he's got a bit of an unusual style, but it's proving effective and he's good to watch. So I rate him highly. Uh, there's a Spanish boxer who I think is a Cuban originally called uh, Emmanuel Reyes, who I hadn't seen much of before, but watched him recently. And he's very skillful. He's a handful. Um, you know, that that Russian has been winning tournaments left, right and centre. So, yeah, I'm I as brilliant as like Julio La Cruz has been, at light heavyweight, I, I I'm not so sure about him mixing it with 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 these heavyweights. It's a good good weight class that one. Finally, then men's super heavyweight, uh, obviously the kind of glamour division, as it were, for the amateurs. The favourite is a guy that we will know, or pro boxing fans, many pro boxing fans will know, um, Jalalov, the Uzbek, um, four to six odds on favourite. Um, so bookies make him a 60% chance but some big names here as well Richard Torres the Team USA prospect seven to one third in the list Fraser Clark Team GB back at number five the bookies say Clark then has got a nine percent chance Jalilov we know about from the pros eight and oh eight KOs six at seven Southpaw um, batting corner of fighter he's a beast um yeah he's not who you want to be boxing he's not is he is he, you know, he's a short prize here, John, but is he kind of worthy of that hype, both in amateurs and pros? Yeah, he really is sort yeah. of, you know, he's been leading the way in the super heavyweight division recently. You know, we were talking about the difficulties of coming back from the pros into sort of this Olympic style boxing. I think what the Uzbeks have been doing is a lot of their boxers have a handful of pro bouts but they also bring them back and forth quite regularly. Like the Uzbek team basically allows them to go have these, you know, pro bouts probably against very easy opposition, pick up some money, get some wins, but they always, but they bring them back for sort of significant tournaments. So Jalilov, yeah, he's got these eight pro bouts, but you know, he was also boxing in what the latest world championships in 2019, the qualification event, he was boxing in the Asian champions championships, Olympic style boxing this year. He's done um, uh, smaller tournaments in Europe again, Olympic style boxing, you know, in Russia and, uh, and another one. And he was, and he obviously, and he won the more, you know, he was winning gold at the more. So he is, he has been sort of balancing the two different styles and he is a handful. So he's, you can't, there's really, you know, he, the, there's a reason he's the favourite, but he's sort of ahead of the field at the moment, and the rest of the field is pretty competitive with each, with each other. Like yeah, Fraser yeah. Clark, Great Britain, Great Britain's representative, is up there. The Americans highly regarded. Uh, there's a there's a Frenchman called Murad Aliyev who has beaten Fraser recently, but then Fraser has also beaten him not too long ago. So. 
French was at twenty five to one. Actually, that's a big big price on him. I think he's on a collision course with Fraser again, mm-hmm. um, which will be interesting. So, and again, I think most people probably most people will probably favour Alia to win that because he beat Fraser uh, in the final of the qualification event. But that was in France, and it was, you know, Fraser was like, he wasn't an emotional wreck by the end of it, but he put, a, he put so much into um, qualifying because he's been trying to qualify since, you know, I think he probably first got on GB right. in like 2010, 2011, yeah, yeah. had a certain Anthony Joshua ahead of him, then had Joe Joyce ahead of him in the Rio 26 cycle. So that he was emotionally, Fraser had invested so much in his qualification bout. Which was before he met he met Alia in the final. That I'm not that um I think I think it'll be a very different, very a different Fraser Clark who boxes Alia when they when they're fighting each other to get into the Olympic medals. So I think most people with good reason might have Frenchman as the favourite, but personally I wouldn't write off Fraser Clark. But if he were to win that, then he'd have the the misfortune of having to box Jalalov in an <laughs> Olympic semi-final, which isn't going to be a barrel of laughs. What a nice reward. <laughs> However, I think it was many years ago, I think it was in the last Olympic cycle, that Fraser has beaten Jalalov before, but Jalalov was a lot younger then. So he's really, Jalalov's really turned into a beast kind of since the Rio Olympics. Like he got, he got schooled a bit by Joe Joyce in um in the Rio Olympics, just got outworked, but he's come back from that and has really turned himself into into an animal. And he's big and he's awkward and he hits hard. To give Star Sports again a bit of a shout out here, they got an interesting specials market, and I wanted to get your opinion on this. Uh, it's Team GB total boxing gold medals, and they split it between no gold medals, uh, one, two, or three or more. Uh, the favourite they say is and there's not much in it actually, uh, is none. Um, and then they go one, two, and then three or more in that order. If you had to pick one of those, how do you, how do you think we're going to do here in terms of gold medals? We've, we've spoken quite a lot about our, you know, GB's hopes for meddling, and, and there's plenty of those. But how many do you think we're going to come out on top? We've got Price, McCormack maybe? So, yeah, I think... So I think GB's going to get a big medal haul. You know, they got overall, they got five, they overall, they got five at London 25, which is huge. You know, I'm, I'm maybe, maybe it's the heat. Maybe it's my enthusiasm, but I think they're <laughs> going to exceed that. Okay. However, within a large medal haul, gold medals are going to be hard to come by. Yeah. You know, it's going to be really difficult to go all the way. Um, so I, I think GB are going to get two gold medals. Um, but that's, you know, this is a very talented squad. You would be, you, you know, getting three is, is very hard, but not, not impossible when you have this kind of talent at your, at at your disposal, Mm. you know, GB got three gold medals at London 2012. I don't think they're going to get quite that many in Tokyo. So I'm going to say two, but maybe that many again. Um, And yeah, it would be, I would be surprised if they got no gold medals. I would be, that would shock me. And finally, a little challenge to, I'm going to put you on the spot with this one, John. 
if we look back on this podcast in, I'm, I'm sure we will we'll kind of put that in our diaries now, I look back on this podcast in four, maybe eight years time, by which point you'll be maybe hopefully uh, attending Olympics again once COVID is over and I'll be still probably doing this podcast somewhere in a dark room. Um, Let's face think, it, we'll all be in our bedrooms hiding from COVID in eight years time. Yeah. Who do you think we're going to look back on 20, Tokyo 2020 slash 2021 and say, yeah, those were the boxers who came out of that. You know, obviously 2012, you had, um, you know, Lomachenko, Joshua, um, Usyk, Katie Taylor, 2016, you know, still to be confirmed. But I guess Joyce is, is kind of Nicole leading the way there a little bit, Tiafimo Lopez as well. Regardless of whether they medal or not, who do you think is going to transition better over to the pro ranks and, and kind of had the biggest impact? So well, inter- before GB internationally, you know, we mentioned the Ukrainian middleweight Kizniak being the overwhelming favourite, I yeah. think. And also, you know, he's a complete beast. He, he, he just goes, he just goes through people, perfect, hits cars, doesn't stop punching, perfect style for the pros. So he's sort of, you know, the guy who might be the kind of Ukrainian Golovkin. Uh, but also at middleweight, there's a Filipino called Yumi Marcial, who's very exciting, very explosive, you know, and he's from the Philippines and he's at middleweight. That's a mm-hmm. good weight class to be in. So he can really, you know, you know, you can market him as the middleweight Manny Pacquiao and not, you know, that's not, you know, he is good. So I think he's going to be a very appealing professional um, who else? Well, on to GB. You know, this tournament, you know, we talked about Caroline Dubois' potential. She could, she really sure. could be a superstar. I think, I think of the British bunch, Pat McCormack is the most talented. He is in his, he is in his mid-twenties. What kind of, what like Boazzi had going for him, turning over from Rio was obviously, you know, exciting style. Also a little bit, you know, in his early 20s at that time, which is a good time to be turning over. Yep. So I think Pat, you know, he's the most talented. He's someone who has the ability and with what you would want to do is kind of put him on that fast track like Josh Taylor has had as a professional, but he's good enough to be moved like that. Um, so Pat McCormack is someone worth getting excited about. And I think, you know, Ben Whitaker, you know, he's got a good chance of meddling, but he's also young, he, light heavyweight, it's a good division to be in. So again, he's someone who can really, who's got a lot of ups, who's in great form right now, but there's a lot of upside potential as well. So he could be a potential star. You know, and at, at super heavyweight, it's kind of like, Everyone loves heavyweights when they're pros. So Richard Torres, I'm not, I'm not hugely confident of his chances of meddling, but he's going to be an American heavyweight. It's very marketable. Um, you know, big Fraser Clark could be a bit of a cult hero over here. And again, he doesn't wait, you know, he's older. Um, he's had a long time as, as a sort of GV boxer, but because he's so experienced, he doesn't have to hang around uh, in the professional ranks. You can move him very quickly to good heavyweight fights. It's kind of so the Joe, again, Joe Joyce situation all over again, isn't it? A guy who spent a long time in the in the amateurs, getting on a little bit, just ready to to kind of kick yeah. on. Yeah, and we've seen with Joe that that um, that 
his experience as GB boxer, you know, has has helped him in the yeah. pros. You know, he's he has been matched pretty aggressively, but obviously, obviously won the ball. And I suppose, and, and Peter McGrail actually with his talent, yeah, he's a bit lighter, but um, you know, Liverpool really gets behind their boxers. So you can imagine Peter McGrail building up a, a good following in Liverpool. And again, he's you know, he's he's a He's a young man with just bags of talent. So again, that's someone to get excited about. Well, there we go. We'll put that straight in the um, in the time capsule and, and dig that up in a few <laughs> years' time to see whether you were right. Um, John Denon, really um, great to have you on the show, mate. No, thank you, thank you, for, thank you for having me. I'm hoping there's just about enough time to squeeze in a few brief words on the Queensbury show from Wembley Arena this Saturday night. Now, the man that John and I mentioned there, Joe Joyce, will forever be a cult hero on this podcast. Uh, And he's making his first appearance since landing for us that round 7-12 KO bet against Daniel Dubois last November. Joyce here is up against Carlos Takam, who is another very respectable name on the record of a guy who's just 12-0 in his pro career to date. Most of us will be very familiar with Takam, uh, been hovering anywhere between the top 10 and top 20, top 25 of the heavyweight division for the best part of a decade. And is a guy who's mostly known for his losses at this point. Joshua, Chisora, Parker, Povetkin, most notable from those. But Takam's never given anyone an easy night. And in the cases of some of those mentioned, he's put on quite a show. Takam, though, is now 40. Uh, He's on a run of four wins straight, but it's hard to think of a worse style matchup for an ageing heavyweight right now than a rampaging Joe Joyce, especially when you're considerably outsized, as Takam is here. It's fair to say the bookies don't like his chances. Uh, Best price of 8-1 with Skybet on Takam, and plus 800, suggesting an 11% chance, but to be honest, I'm struggling to see how he wins this. If Daniel Dubois can't put a dent in Joyce, and he really did try, then it's hard to see how Takam does and Joyce's kind of sheer relentlessness and activity make the chances of a decision win for Takam, particularly on the road, um, feel very remote indeed. Joyce then is a top price of 9 to 1 on, uh, 1 to 9, so minus 900, 90% implied probability with Bet Victor, which is out of kilter actually with the more widely available uh, prices of 1 to 14 and 1 to 16 elsewhere. It's not really a fight, though, where much, if any, value jumps out at me. The 4 to 9, so minus 225 or 69%, feels solid as a short price single or doubling, trebling material for those that way inclined. But despite the temptation to think that Joyce bulldozes him early, Takam has never been the victim of an early blowout. Stopped in 7 by Chisora, 10 by Povetkin, 10 by Joshua, uh, and a points loss to Parker. Now that durability of Takam might well start to wane for a guy now in his fifth decade, um, but you can see why the round 7-12 to 12 for Joyce, just those words in combination are still quite fun to say, uh, has been priced shorter at 7-5, to five, so plus 140 or 42% for the second half stoppage for Joyce um, than the first half stoppage, which is 11-5, to five, 31% or plus 220 more interesting, I think, at least from a betting point of view, is the fight on the undercard between Chris Jenkins and Echo Esserman for the British and Commonwealth titles currently held by Jenkins. This was a fight I was really looking forward to being priced up earlier in the week, 
And though the outright one to three on Essamon was a lot shorter than I was kind of perhaps optimistically hoping for, uh, there might be some merit siding with the challenger here by other means. In the outright market, Jenkins is the 5-2 to two underdog, so plus 250, um, and Essamon there, minus 300, 1-3, 75% implied chance. Now, both of these guys are the same age, 32, but it feels like they're worlds apart in their ring careers. Jenkins, at this point, is really a, a kind of gnarled veteran, good fighter and a very, very tough man, but in some really hard fights and as we know he's kind of remarkably prone to cuts three career draws to date two of those stopped on cuts as technical draws uh, and he also won a technical decision over Paddy Gallagher in a fight also halted on cuts and was also cut in some of his other big fights to date so to say there's a few miles on the clock of Jenkins would be I think quite fair He's picked up a few kind of niggling injuries and didn't box at all in 2020, last seen in November 2019 in one of those draws um, that time against Liam Taylor. Essimon, meanwhile, is on a bit of a tear. Um, he's been looking good, 14-0 now, uh, got a win against Tyrone Nurse, a guy who's twice denied Jenkins a win and got a very, very comfortable decision against Cedric Payneau last year. Neither are renowned punchers. Jenkins just eight KOs in his 22 wins. Essamon, a very willing technician, um, just five KOs in his 14. That points perhaps too obviously here to a distance fight with the large asterisk around Jenkins being cut against it, and likely, I think, an Essamon decision. I do think the style of Essamon at this point is a problem for Jenkins, and looking at the method of victory, uh, six to five, so just odds against uh, plus 120, uh, 46%, that Essamon wins a decision, which also, remember, includes a technical decision if cuts come into play, looks quite decent indeed. Now, I might be draw hunting a little bit too much after last weekend, but I think there's enough wiggle room with that 6-5 to five to also add in a touch on the draw. The combination of a likely distance fight, plus that outside chance of a very, very early stoppage on cuts, and a technical draw, makes 18-1 to one a long way I think from the very worst double figure single poke you could find this weekend. Assuming those of us in the British Isles survive this heatwave, I'll be back next week for a preview of Matching Fight Camp Season 2. Enjoy the Olympics this weekend and please remember to gamble responsibly if indeed you are gambling at all. Until next week, thank you for listening and take care.